And funny enough, we were planning for the wedding in like six months. Yeah. And the chief medical lab scientist sends me a message. If I called on the phone that doctor, you guys are both AS. The theme of sickle cell and love is an unavoidable dilemma for many. On this episode, I catch up with Dr. Olani Owo-Oye, a consultant hematologist at the medical diagnostic company Synlab Nigeria. We explore his personal challenges on this theme. At a point, she wanted us to faith it, you know, and I was like, oh, sorry, I'm a hematologist, I can't do this. I mean, what would I say to my patients? And how advances in medicine could avoid heartbreak for many couples globally. I'm your host, Dr. Yemisi Bokini, and this is Sickle Cell Unbox. Sickle Cell Unbox is powered by the Genetic Society. Greetings, Dr. Owo'ea. It's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. It's much appreciated. Thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here too. So the theme of sickle cell and love, right? So we know that there, there's so many people out there who this is relevant for, right? When we just think of even just Nigeria to start with, 25% of the population have sickle cell trait. Um, you are a hematologist, um, consultant hematologist. You are also uh, work at the company Synlab, who are responsible for doing a lot of the um, gene testing and various types of medical testing in Nigeria. So you obviously have a lot of experience in this field. So tell us a bit about, um, you know, this dilemma. Let's just start with, with, with the dilemma of, of sickle cell and love. How many people um, that approach you in your clinic as a hematologist um, are actually aware of their genotype before they actually get into relationships? How many encounter this after they've perhaps maybe gotten pregnant? In my practice, I, I think most people become aware of their genotypes shortly before marriage, like you know, maybe a couple of weeks you know, before marriage, because generally most people don't think it's, it's, it's very, very important because um, we are generally a faith people, you know, so we um, really don't think those things are really, really, really important. And um, most of the times when patients walk into the hospital for um, premarital screening, you know, because most of most churches and uh, most organizations, you know, who are involved in marriages insist on premarital screening and uh, genotype is you know, one of the things you must do. So when they approach you a few weeks to the wedding, sometimes even two weeks to the wedding, and then they find out that um, they are both AS, it becomes really, really difficult for most of them to, well, I would say do the needful because emotions have been involved, money has been spent, and you know, so many things like that. So it's quite a Herculean task trying to you know, make them see you know, the light, if I could use that. But most of the times, you, you are bound by duty to, you know, tell them, you know, what they have to do. And many of them are quick to actually jump into, okay, you know, we can do this. A lot of them is faith. Sometimes they feel, oh, well, whatever it is, just let me know if there are options. Some would have even gone to read, you know. I've seen cases where we have patients who come in and then they've gone to read ahead and then they would say, okay, there are options. So I, 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 would, I would go with the options, you know, that I have. But as a physician, my, my duty is not to enforce my decision on you. I just have to help you to make an informed you know, decision on whatever it is you, know, you want to do. But for me, from my experience, most of the times, people get to know during premarital screening. Okay, first of all, I think the faith aspect of it, the church aspect of it is beneficial in a way. Because I, I remember doing an internship in, in Ghana many years ago. 
being attached to a center and seeing people coming in for premarital screening, right? So it's a it's a generally a thing. But I suppose, you know, the dilemma comes in at the fact that this usually happens just before yeah. the wedding. So it's usually after they propose. And, you know, as you mentioned, they've, they've you know, built an emotional bond. And we're sw- supposedly trying to empower people to know their genotype before they even get into relationships mm. in, in the first place. Right. So what are some of the things do you think that can be done to get people to to at least get get their genotype tested a lot earlier, a lot sooner than you know when they're sort of like two weeks before wedding as you mentioned i think it starts from the parents because i could remember my mom took me for my first genotype test when i was five so though it turned out to be wrong but at least she she, you know she made that effort and i guess it was because of the method that was used then and i could remember she did my genotype and my blood group and then i knew about my genotype and blood group in primary school so um, if parents can adopt, you know, because I've seen a lot of parents coming in to do genotypes for their children, you know, because a lot of people, more people are becoming aware and, you know, and all that. But then it doesn't have to stop at that level. For example, if you have a child that is AS, then you need to constantly remind, you know, that child that, okay, you are AS. So whenever you want to go into any relationship, you have to be aware of this, especially, you know, in your partner. I think starting from that level, I think it can help. Then also, what I was part of a couple of years ago where I was part of this NGO group who we went into secondary schools in Loring, and then we tried to gather those that were in senior secondary school to educate them about sickle cell, and then we conducted free genotype testing, you know, for them in conjunction with you know, the principals in the school. And of course, as part of the program then also, we go to NYC orientation camps. Sorry, for, so for those who don't know, sorry, just to clarify, so NYSC, those are, that's a national youth uh, training corp. So it's something that um, uh, literally every university graduate has to go through. So it's a very ideal place yeah. to try and capture yeah. people quite young. Sorry, Yeah, so I think that's a very, very good place to, to probably go and then, you know, let people understand and then know. Then um, I'm beginning to see a lot more awareness from the religious organizations because I could remember years back from my own personal story, I, I was in a relationship with someone and though I know she's AS, I thought I was AA from the initial test that was done. So my mother just felt we should repeat, you know, and I was like, oh, you, you did it for for me. And, it's just, and by the time I did, and I had to do like three times, I discovered it was yes. And then, of course, it was that difficult decision, and I didn't want to let go. But I could remember speaking with my HOD, who happened to be the wife of a pastor at Rema Chapel. She said, excuse me, in my church, we would not join you together. There's nothing you do. We will not change. So, you know, that's a very good one because you're actually beginning to see a lot of, you know, faith-based organizations. And because of that, you see a lot of them also organizing health talks because I've done a couple in churches. You know, you see a lot of them organizing health talks to actually talk to them because you see a lot of these errors and quotes coming from, you know, faith people who decide to faith it. God has said, you know, but, you know, so... I find that very good and quite refreshing when you have faith organizations who are more concerned, you know, about it and they are doing a lot to ensure that their members get to understand and then they would also not join them if they discover that you guys are both here. So, you know, that was what my HOD told me. They said, I'm a pastor's wife. I'm not going to join you. We will not do it in my church. So, I mean, there are other people around, you know, 
was a very, very difficult decision, but then I, I have to do it. So for me, I think I think we can start from, from the parents, then from our schools, from our religious organizations, then of course, the NYC that gathers a lot of young people together, you know, in one place. It, it would even be good if something they can actually adopt just the way they do um, HIV, you know, into the programs where you bring in people that would um, um, educate people on, on genotype, you know, create their awareness so that at level people would know and then. But, but as as we know, as we know, you know, knowing knowledge doesn't necessarily mean we act on that, right? There are many instances, I mean, I often say, um, doctors are sometimes some of the unhealthiest people I know, right? <laughs> Even after how many yeah. years of medical school. So so sometimes knowledge <laughs> knowledge doesn't necessarily change um, behavior or action. Now, I'm curious about, you know, your your experience. Hope you don't mind me dwelling yeah, on this. Okay. But um, okay, you mentioned that the initial genotype testing that you had as a child was wrong. Right. And then, you know, you repeated it three times. What made you repeat it? Were you just hoping that um, <laughs> that th- it would work out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was hoping that it would work out. Um, you know, I've been in that relationship for like two years. And of course, I was emotional bonding. We're looking forward to, you know, you know going to the altar and doing stuff. But and funny enough, we're planning for the wedding in like six months, you know. And so it was so close. But then I was hoping that it would change because, you know, the first time I did, I was in a teaching hospital. So I did it at the teaching hospital. I took our sample. I took my sample. And the chief medical um, science, lab scientist sent me a message. If I called on the phone that doctor, you guys are both AS. And I was like, I cannot, you know, that's not possible. So I had to repeat. And I, I stayed there with him. He did it. And then I wanted to see the the procedure and everything, of course, it was yes. So I had to take another sample to same lab then in a lorry because of course I know they do quantifications and, and of course it was when that came out. I mean that was when I got to finally accept that oh okay, I'm yes and then I mean there's no way you know it, it was not a very good experience, I must say. Um it took a lot more toll on her, you know, than me. <laughs> you know, because, I mean, she's not a doctor, but me being a doctor, a metallurgist in training at that time, I really, I have like a first-hand information, you know, on what sickle cell patients go through. And my childhood friend, I, I mean, she's she suffers from the disease. And I could remember, you know, a lot of times I had to, you know, cry with her as a child. You know, it was not really a very good experience. So for me... I would say it was a lot easier for me to move out of that relationship than for her because, I mean, she doesn't have the kind of experience I've had, you know, and it took a lot out of her. I could remember there were months and months of tears and, you know, at a point she wanted us to faith it, you know, and I was like, oh, sorry, I'm a hematologist. I can't do this. I mean, what would I say to my patients? How would I, you know, counsel my patients and all that? So, yeah, that's that's my experience as yeah, I suppose, you know, oftentimes people who have witnessed firsthand just how um, severe sickle cell can be, um, just how de- debilitating, um, are, are probably more conscious of, of the potential repercussions. And, you know, the reason why I, I dwelled on that fact about the test, because testing has come such a long way, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of the testings that were available many years back were not too accurate. But nowadays, you know, the, the testing um, techniques have improved and 
we're getting more accurate um, insights. So I think you and I could confidently say that anyone who, who does a test today can be pretty pretty confident that, you know, the, the results given are, are accurate. You know, on, on the basis of your, your personal experience, um, you know, I have a friend, I have a friend who's a doctor. Um, she's, uh, she's Nigerian by background, um, based in the UK, and her and her, her now husband are both AS. And they decided to proceed with the caveat that they would um, undergo this technique known as pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. And just for the audience out there, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis is essentially just like IVF with the extra step of um, checking the embryos yeah. for sickle cell before implanting. Right. Um, and that's an option that's obviously available to her. She's based in the UK. So they had that option of both being able to be ASAS and still have children. You know, on, on the basis of that, what, what's your experience on the availability of that? Do you even feel like that's a route people should take or should people just accept, you know, the realities and just either decide not to have children and, you know, maybe adopt or, you know, just find a partner who is perhaps genetically compatible? I love that question. And well, why I would always say that, I, I will always say that it's not my decision to make for any of my patients, but I will always try as much as possible to help them to make informed decisions. But then there are a lot of factors, you know, to these things because pre-implantation genetic testing is was also available in the country. But of course, you can't compare that to what you would have in the UK, you know. Basically, it's like, for now, to my own knowledge, it's like, you know, the forte of, you know, the guys who run fertility centers. I'm, I'm well aware of um, Bridge Clinic. I know Bridge Clinic does it. Um, but aside from Bridge, I, well, maybe because I'm not a gynecologist, so, but I, I really don't know any other center at the moment. I don't know many fertility centers, too. But then, what we do basically in the same lab basically is, Aside from the pre-implantation genetic testing, we also do the you know prenatal screening, you know, for sickle cell disease. But the, the, the drawback there that we know is um, if the, the fetus has a, I mean, the embryo rather has a high chance of developing sickle cell disease. We know that termination of pregnancy is what you want to opt out for, which of course we know is not something legalized in Nigeria, you know. But then we know that. A lot of people do it though. But um, in terms of prenatal diagnosis, we have more of prenatal, you know, screenings uh, for the non-invasive prenatal testing and then the invasive ones. So just for the audience, what you're describing is essentially two AS couples, they're already pregnant. And this is some sort of uh, blood test because I, I, I understand that there's a blood test available where you can test um, some of the the fetuses uh, cells to see whether or not yeah that's why i said earlier on that i'm well aware that bridge clinic that that's one of the major facility fertility centers in the country they offer pre-implantation you know genetic diagnosis they do the, the major challenge in the country basically is the cost so the cost so except you have you know enough money most patients that i know who are both carriers usually can't afford you know some of these you know methods for either um, pre-implantation in the diagnosis or prenatal screening because it's quite expensive you know so for most of the patients because when you actually look at the sickle cell disease in nigeria you find out that people who are most affected are people who are um, not so you know 
wealth, and of course, who are not really, really, you know, you know, educated. So look at the epidemiology of the country. So for most of them, they are not people, and most of people that I get to counsel on a day-to-day basis are not people who are, you know, able to afford, you know, these screenings, you know, as, as the case may be. So, and as I said earlier on that, it all depends on a lot of factors. But I, my own duty is to tell you, all the options that you have. By the time you lay down all the options on, you know, on the table, at the end of the day, you find out that for most of them, they, they really cannot afford. You don't even hear from most of them. Most people actually going for these options are people who have the wherewithal to go ahead and who are really, really, you know, determined. So for for us in Nigeria, there's a lot of factors involved. And that's why the safest thing to do is for people who are both carriers to actually, you know, avoid getting, you know, married. And the reason why it's the safest is because most of them really cannot, you know, afford it. But in the last couple of years, since I came to Sinlab, I've had quite a number of patients who are able to afford it, you understand? And then um, we see patients who are either going for prenatal test screening or the um, pre-implantation genetic. In fact, you have patients sometimes who have sickle cell um, children and wards and they want to do, go do bone marrow transplant. And, and, and I think that changed with my practice because for a number of years, I practiced in the north central part of Nigeria where um, you find out that most of the clients you have to deal with don't really have the wherewithal. But since I moved into Lagos about two, two, two and a half years ago, I'm beginning to see a lot more of my patients who are going for the prenatal screening because they can afford it something they can afford and they are well exposed they know the implications so they really don't mind you know so for me that's one key factor so you mentioned you know right at the top of our discussion that many people faith it right um so the church is it's very powerful in the sense that many do demand that couples do pre prenatal screening premarital screening Pre-mar- yes premarital screening sorry before they you know get married but there's some people who despite knowing still proceed and believe that you know the child that they have won't get sickle cell because you know it's a matter of chance it's a one in four chance with each pregnancy how common is that or how often you know in terms of a percentage would you say that most people just accept that it's not going to work and just break up or do you feel like most people go the other way i really don't have any exact um, figures you know for that because i'm not sure there are many studies on that but from my um, own experience i i think that again there are a lot of factors that will decide or determine whether there's going to be a breakup or you're going to proceed now for people who are educated who are well exposed and they are both in a relationship and they find out that they are both carriers they are more likely to break up just like i did you know, a couple of years back just because of that awareness and the fact that we know that um well i don't know i mean it has not been scientifically proven that prayer changes genotypes so people are more likely to go down that route and people who are exposed educated which is a factor but for people who are and also who are not religious fanatics because one of the things i've also noticed in nigeria is sometimes you have people who are well educated exposed but they are still very fanatical in their beliefs and they still go ahead to to marry uh, in the case of a particular doctor maybe a professor or something went ahead you know because he was convinced that god had led him you know down that lane you understand so you still have those you know people but generally for people who will go ahead uh, those who 
are basically not well exposed, who are not well educated. Not necessarily, because I mean, I've seen instances here, you know, in the UK, people who, quote unquote, uh, university education or whatever, you know, who who know that their partner is AS. I, I know of one case where someone who has sickle cell, they have sickle cell okay. themselves, they know their partner is AS and they proceeded. Wow. You know, education, okay, fair enough that, you know, you're more likely to have more information. But I feel like this is, um, you know, love is a very, is a very emotion, love and emotion is a very difficult thing to tackle with reason. I also think one of the things I've encountered basically again is, you know, sickle cell anemia, sickle cell itself, you know, you have a lot of phenotypes. You have some people who have favorable phenotypes and then... You have people coming with this argument that, eh, Mr. A and Mr. B, they're both AS, and then they have an SS child who doesn't really have crisis. You cannot even, you wouldn't even know that he is a sickler or she is a sickler. So, and for a whole lot of them, they are not aware that probably that person has a favorable, favorable phenotype. You know, things like that. So they feel maybe it's because of the prayers that you've been praying and all that. I still do believe that in Nigeria, a central factor to it is, is faith. A lot of people just believe that. We don't want to believe in the doctor's report because you see a lot of times you're watching TV programs and people are coming to give testimonies and they're saying doctors are not God. And I think another factor that may also contribute again is, you know, we enter marriage for different reasons in this part of the world. Sometimes, yeah, love, yeah. But sometimes also there are other things, you know, maybe some political, whatever, um, societal. So... I mean, these things are also factors too. And then you've had situations where parents still have a lot of role to play. Marriage is this, this, they will tell you that, sorry, no matter what you do, you're going to marry this person because I, I think this person is, is, is the best person for you. There are so, there are so many factors you know, in this part of the world. But love generally, I quite agree with you because love can be stupid sometimes. I remember a story I had years ago from one of my trainers. She said, she's a, of course, she's a hematologist. I think one of our family members was about to get married and she, she encouraged them to do genotype and they discovered that they were both AS. She said she counseled them at length and they were both well educated. I think the lady has a PhD, the, the, the man is a lawyer, so you can't say they are not exposed and educated. So. But they were so in love. In fact, she said they were really in love that all they did, they did together. She said they were not willing to listen and they got married. Well, like 25 years down the line, they had to break up because all the four children they had they all class and they all died. They decided to go separate ways when the last one died. And family members came and told the man that, so is this how you're going to end your life without a child? So yeah, reality, sometimes when I talk to my patients, I will tell you, yeah, love is blind, but reality can actually be, can be a very, very serious hype now, you know, for you when reality sets in. Because, and sometimes I go ahead to tell my patients that, for me, in a way, I think it, it, it's a little bit of selfishness because I would tell them, what would you say when your child begins to ask you certain questions? Like, Daddy, why am I not as strong as other children? Why can't I play like they play? Why am I always missing school? Why am I always sickly? Why am I not growing breasts? When other, you know, these kind of questions, I feel, because those are the things I thought about. When a child asks, and you know within yourself that you were the one who, due to your, I, I don't know, your stubbornness or something, you brought, you know, the child into the world. And when your child begins to ask, ask these questions, how would you feel? And for me, personally, it's, it's a personal, I feel uh, when we decide to 
throw all caution to the winds, despite all we know, despite all we are aware of. I, I think it's selfishness when you still say, okay, I'm going ahead because it's not just going to be all about you and your partner. You're going to bring a child, you know, into it. And then if you know what they go through, I don't know. I, I don't think it's something I want to bring a child into. You know, and, and many, uh, long ago, I, I did a, a documentary on various genetic conditions and I had to interview a lot of people. I interviewed quite a few people who have sickle cell. And one thing that they, all but one, agree, let's say I interviewed five, all but one said, they would not wish this on anyone, that they are strong advocates that with, you know, what they considered incompatible genotypes, ASAS should never, ever, you know, get together and have children because the pain that they experience. Um, sometimes they feel like ending their life. That's how painful it is. But there was this one um, individual sickle cell who thought, no, like it should be able to have children. But I mean, the irony of that case was um, this is an individual who didn't have his first crisis until his 20s, right? And his sickle cell is not that severe. So you mentioned before that different people have different severities, which is what you allude to when you mentioned phenotypes. And we know that there's some people who do not have severe forms of sickle cell, like where they have crisis like once every few years or, you know, and that's not the majority of cases. And so therefore people like that might feel it's, it's permittable, it's, it's okay to um, bring a, another child into the world who, who has sickle cell because their personal experience hasn't been that bad. But the vast majority um, are on the side that the pain that they go through, um, you know, unbearable. One, for example, had to have a, you know, hip replacement in his early 20s. So many, many thanks for that. And as we know, you know, um, recently, President Buhari of Nigeria mentioned that his first marriage, um, his first marriage produced two kids that had sickle cell and they both died um, before he he then went on to marry the first lady of Nigeria today, Aisha Buhari. So, you know, it's it's a condition that can affect everyone, essentially affecting everyone. So let's touch on this theme of of what Bahrain. I know I know there's some Middle Eastern countries. So you know, sickle cell isn't just in Africa. There are bits of uh, parts of Asia and the Arab world who are prone to sickle cell, as well as another condition known as beta thalassemia. But I do know that there's some countries who actually ban by law. They ban by law two individuals AS uh, marrying. I personally wouldn't necessarily agree with yeah. that. I don't, <laughs> I don't agree that that's the way to go. But in instances where you have people who are like, despite the science, despite the insight, despite all the information given, are adamant that their case will be different. I mean, do you feel that that's something potentially that should or shouldn't be introduced um, in, in you know places like Nigeria? Um, or globally even, do you think we should be following the footsteps of, you know, some Arab countries? Well, I don't believe we should follow the footsteps of, you know, the Arab countries on that because um, every human being has a choice and um, you should allow people to make their choices and then you shouldn't take away people's ability, you know, to make, you know, choices. I mean, patients can say, can have cancer and say, I don't want treatment. You can't force it on them. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, um, that area, I will, I'm not in support of, of, of that area. But for, for me in Nigeria, what we can basically do, since we know that we can't stop some people, you know, from getting married. And when I get those kind of patients, I just try to educate them on 
you know, what they're about to get into. I make them understand the options for treatment. But you know, the beautiful thing again is we are doing a lot better in management of sickle cell diseases than we were a couple of years back. You see a lot of them living into their fifth, sixth, seventh decade. I was reading some slides a couple of weeks back and I discovered sickle cell on the slide of a 70-year-old man. In fact, I had to take a screenshot and I had to tweet it. I was like, 70-year-old man, sickle cell patient, I know. You know, I've been trying to get through to the hospital and then the patient because I think I need to make a case report on that. And I have patients who are in their 50s who are, who are sicklers and you know, they are doing fine. So we are well able to manage them better now because we have more knowledge and management. We have lots of options for treatment too. We have people in Nigeria who are actually, you know, um, going into the area of bone marrow transplants. And then currently we have the gene therapy thing. And even without all that, in low resource or resource limited settings, I mean, you still have very good and effective ways of actually, you know, managing patients. So one thing I just do for my clients, for my patients basically is to let them know the options, you know, what they are going into. I tell them about the complications from air to two, the implication on emotional implications, the um, financial implications. I try to as much as possible to be very exhaustive on what you're going, just to let you know that if you have a child who's a sickle, these are the things you know, you're going to. And I've seen a couple of them to do like a 360 degree, you know, turn around. When they know about all the complications from there to two, we have to let them know, you know, you know what they are going into. But we cannot bring, bring up laws that would restrict two people who are in love and say, you know, because you're this, because you're this, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't get married. The only thing I know that we can actually do to reduce this is to continue our advocacy, to continue to educate people, and then to continue to educate them in the right way, you understand? You know, and I think, you know, as part of that medical education, first and foremost, increasing the availability of testing. Like, you know, you mentioned that, or I mean, although the test results were wrong, your your mom took you at a young age to go and get your genotype testing. So, um, so making that a normal thing, people knowing their genotype literally from a young age. And, you know, on that topic of, of couples who are AS, AS getting together, you know, there's also that option of adoption. Um, so yeah. that option is also available. Um, so, you know, having a law that, you know, discriminates against such couples isn't really fair in, you know, in instances where they, they could easily just adopt. Okay, sorry, I was about to say something also about neonatal screening. I think maybe we need to have screening panels, you know, for, for newborn babies that incorporate, you know, testing for sickle cell disease. Because we know that Nigeria has the highest number of sickle cell, you know, disease patients in the world. So we can also think along that line, having, you know, newborn screening panels and then sickle cell should be an integral part of it such that we get them early. And then when we get them early, we are well able to manage them well. And of course, increase testing everywhere. So I think that also would also help to deal with the this, scourge this of sickle cell disease in the country. Most certainly. Most certainly. And, you know, just on that note about the panels, um, you know, in the NHS in the, in the UK, in regions where um, there are, you know, high risk populations, every, every child, every child born is tested with a panel to test at birth. Um, for the presence of um, sickle cell. And, you know, I'm encouraged because I, I there's more awareness. Um, I'm seeing more and more, you know, documentaries, films um, on the theme of sickle cell. And also I, I remember coming across an article of this um this this entrepreneur who was starting like a dating website. And um one of the 
things on the options. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's been released yet, but one of the things on on the profiles that she said she was going to include was the genotype, right? So this is here's a, a dating uh, website, which is you know it, online dating is very common, you know in the in in Europe in in uh, North America, it's increasingly become more becoming more common on the African continent. But having that as like a you know like an extra bit of info on the dating profiles, so I suppose people are people are tapping into mm. that and, and seeing just how crucial it is to be more aware. So I feel that's. Yeah, I also thing. think on a lighter note, it's also important to you know talk about genotype before you fall deeply in love. I could remember after my breakup then. The next person I met, the first thing I asked, I like you, but what's your genotype? <laughs> I mean, she was taken aback. I was like, I like you, but what's your genotype? And then when she said, yes, I just took this reverse turn. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I still like you, but I don't think I want to start a family with you. And so it may look funny. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> Having these conversations at the very beginning, one one of the people who I interviewed a few years back, he had sickle cell, and he one thing he said in the interview, which I will never forget, he was like, "Look, guys," he was basically speaking to people who are AS or whatever. He said the first question before anything, yeah. right? If someone who you're even remotely interested, said the first question, "What's their genotype?" If it's incompatible, you got to say, "Well, sorry, you know, God bless you, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and let's move on." <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> So, sure. so you know, and I, su- I suppose that that's that you know, before emotions yeah. get in the way, then that might have to be um, the the stance yeah, that people emotions take. Emotions are strong, know? so before you fall deeply in love, just talk about it. It's not something you should talk about last. It's something you should talk about first. Like, oh, I like you, please, but what's your genotype? Yeah. You know? And then I think, what's <laughs> I think I think that would do a lot of help yeah. also. On that note, Dr. Owe, it's been a pleasure speaking with you on this theme of sickle cell and love. Many thanks for joining us. I'd love for us to continue the conversation. Join me on Rare Disease Day this February 28, 2023 on online discussion and Q&A with some of the amazing guests we've featured on the series. Details can be found in the description. Alternatively, visit our website at sicklecellunboxed.com to register to attend. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm your host, Dr. Yemsi Bokini, and this is Sickle Cell Unboxed. Sickle Cell Unboxed is powered by the Genetic Society.